in a world where most people watch movies and then forget about them. These brave heroes join forces to watch them again and then talk about them. Join them in their epic journey as they go back in time, a decade and beyond, to revisit and break down films from a vast array of genres. Do these movies hold up over time? Are they classics? Find out on Retro Movie Roundtable. Starring your hosts, Brian Fry, Chad Robinson, Destin Melbarnes, Nathan Lutz, and Russell Guest. Coming now to Headphones in Your Ears. Welcome all you lords, ladies, and knights of the Retro Movie Roundtable, where we watch movies and then talk about them. I'm your host, Nathan Lutz, and joining me today is my friend and co-host, Chad Robinson. How are you doing today, Chad? I'm really excited. We get to talk some superheroes today. Always awesome. Super-powered police, yep. crazy machines, excellent police forces, all great engineering stuff, really, really interesting topics, dystopian. Joining us today, we're very excited to have Chris R. Sykes aboard. Welcome aboard, Chris. How are you? I am doing fantastic. First of all, thank you very much for having me. I am looking forward to uh, talking about one of my uh, favorite movies. Um, Stallone is definitely a winner in my books, in my eyes. And, you know, I just want to bounce ideas and hear what you guys say. You know, some people might think it's great. Some people might think otherwise. But I'm looking forward to hearing what everybody has to say. All right. Well, can you tell us a little bit about yourself for our audience here real quick? I am currently an engineer. I work for Pfizer at this moment. I'm also a book writer, singer, songwriter, and just a practitioner, entrepreneur. I've been in the military for about, I would say, a little bit over a decade. Um, spent some some good nights, some bad nights, somewhere in between. Uh, during that time, gave me a very vast opportunity to learn about the pen and the paper. And also being protective of the environment, you watch a lot of movies. I'll just put it like that. You watch a lot of movies. <laughs> yeah, so I, I watch quite a bit of movies. I'm a movie fanatic. There's something that me and my father used to share, and I've just carried it into adulthood. Uh, it's just a really good memory. You know, uh, I am like, when I say I am a fan, I mean like, I'm like open AMC backup, open retail backup. I am completely nice. and utterly willing to pay for overpriced popcorn. Nice. Uh, yeah, I, I am. I am a true fan. I love it down to its core. It's just a donation. For, yeah, just for the raw idea of, you know, just this huge screen, huge loud sound, and sitting in a chair that's completely yours. Well, I think we're all rearing and, and, and excited to get back to that as soon as we possibly can. Definitely, definitely something in the future that I'm really looking forward to. Can you give us, can you give us a title of a book that you've written that people should go out and check out. I am a children's author right now at the moment. I have written two books currently. Uh, one is Darla's Scarf. Just this beautiful story about a young lady who has this object, this item, that she is completely and utterly immersed with knowing where it came from. Doing that, she finds out that there's something else that's actually out there for her, and she finds a friend. And I think that's imperative and important to a lot of children out there that associate objects and friendships and love and just really trying to learn. Uh, and also another book is The Adventures of William and Christopher, another tidbit of a story that has these little lessons in for children to figure out and to find themselves in the story. Uh, it's about a young ape that finds itself climbing this very, very large tree. Uh, he sees his mother falls from the tree, gets him a little bit discouraged, his father encourages him to just try every day. And eventually they do make it up the tree together. 
Both of these books can be found on Amazon. Darla's Scarf can be found in Barnes and Nobles and in actual multiple places around. Uh, you can check my website, chrisr.sykes.com, and you can find both books available. But currently right now, Amazon is the place to go. Awesome. Sounds like some great themes and ideas. When you talk about movies, what would be the movie that you watched last before this movie? Not movie, but if I could say show. Yeah, absolutely. So there's a show. It's called Kiss Me First. And it was so Amazon does this thing where like if you watch a certain amount of shows, it kind of registers the general idea of where you're going. And it gave me this. And I will tell you, my wife gave me a little bit of a look because there's some extra detail in there that I did not know. But for just for the sake of the conversation, the precipice states that there's this young lady that's going in and out of the VR world. They have created another environment within the VR world. And this young lady wants to find out what it is. But in finding out what it is, it's like the next level of sensation. So you have the VR where you're playing the game and you, you're, you're interacting with it. They're coming from a sensation of you feel the pain, you feel the, the, the intensity of it. And through feeling that, that also opens you up to a neurological pathway of it. Kind of think about it like uh, the Matrix, right? If you die, if your brain thinks that you're dying, yeah, you die. So honestly, right now, it's, it's a pretty intense show. I'm really liking it. Kiss Me First. That's the name of it on Amazon. Huh. That's exactly like an Are You Afraid of the Dark episode back from my childhood. Or like <laughs> Rich Player One, you know, uh, uh, definitely. Yeah, I'm thinking of the uh, the new Caprica follow-up to Battlestar Galactica where where people are getting uploaded and they're figuring out what's reality based on their sort of past network presence and everything. Oh, it's man, a, no, we can open a can of worms with this conversation. <laughs> All good sci-fi movies that, you know, there's a certain relation to what we're talking about today. So how about you, Chad? What have you watched last? I went the opposite direction. I have a four-year-old, so we watched Disney movies. We got to watch the excellent Tangled. So that's a, one I'm a huge proponent on, uh, Tale of Rapunzel. It's a lot of fun. Great songs. B.B. Newworth is a great villain. Love it. For me, the last thing that I watched was actually the follow-up to this movie, just Dread from 2012. Yeah, I checked it out too. Yeah. Interesting follow-up. Very, very different approach to the movie and the source material. They are, they're very different. And maybe we'll, we'll talk about how they're different later at some point, because I think it's very interesting when people make follow-ups we we just had the blade runner podcast a little while back and the follow-up to that was very much in the same style Agreed. as if made by the same person in a way this is something totally different yeah <laughs> yeah yeah i agree i agree since this is such a very hard r style movie as well as the follow-up movie what is chris the first R-rated movie that you ever saw. I'm going to go completely to the left with this one. It was Saving Private Ryan. I, I, I watched it with my father, and it was just... So, my father's, like, legitimately, like, old-world alpha male. And <laughs> as, as a child, you know, I, like, feared him completely. And knowing now that I... He'd never been in the military. It's very interesting what I know now, but as a child... That was the first time I ever seen him cry. Mm. Huh. 
Yeah, like he legitimately cried in movie, and I was a child, obviously, so I kind of poked at him just a tad bit. You know, I was like, "Are you crying?" You know, because I didn't understand the gravity of the the, the nature of the movie. I do now, so I respect it obviously a, a ton more. But yeah, that was my first R-rated movie from a cinematic standpoint. What a great movie to watch as a child! Just I didn't understand it. That's all. That's a heck of an intro to R-rated movies. Good grief! Yeah, and and also just war movies and themes and and, and the and the ideas behind everything and, and so many things going on in there. Matt Damon, Tom Hanks, uh, Ben Diesel, which was very briefly he was there. Huh, really, he existed in there. I know, I know. Not a lot of people don't believe it, but he literally was in that movie. <laughs> All right. Well, today we are looking at the 1995 movie Judge Dredd, starring Sylvester Stallone, Armand Asante, Diane Lane, Rob Schneider, Joan Chen, Jürgen Prochnow, and Max von Sydow. It was released in 1995, grossed $34 million. It was the 48th in the box office that year, despite being such a big production. Movie placing ahead of it was number 47, a goofy movie. 49 directly behind it was money train the number one movie that year and maybe this explains how something could be knocked back so hard batman forever imdb rating was 5.6 rotten tomatoes and critics tomato meters was 20 percent with the audience score 30 percent so really not either an audience pleaser or a critic pleaser and it didn't win many awards. In fact, Sylvester Stallone, leading this movie, received a Worst Actor nomination for his role as Judge Dredd at the Golden Raspberry Awards. He didn't win it. Polly Shore and Jury Duty did. Deserve. <laughs> I'm sorry, but yeah, okay, that's interesting. I mean, I can see where critics are coming from there. It's it's something else. Again, we'll we'll get to it down the line. But it did win some awards at the Saturn Awards, or rather, it received nominations for them. At the 22nd Saturn Awards, it received nominations in four categories, Best Science Fiction Film, Best Special Effects, Best Costume, and Best Makeup. So it did receive some well-deserved love in at least the production and create and creation department where it really is a film that soars so chris had you seen this movie before what what were you expecting this time how did things change i have seen this movie multiple amount of times i am a fan of the movie Uh, i'm an action person down to my core i had no well first of all let's start with this i had no expectations of the movie obviously in 1995 there was build-up But it was more so from the standpoint of like, okay, this is something to watch. We didn't criticize movies now as much as we do now because there's so many different avenues, facets, and venues to watch it on trailers. People criticize it before you even watch it. Absolutely. When I watched it, I loved the movie. I loved the comedy relief with uh, Schneider, who played Fergie. I love Judge Dredd. Uh, I think Stallone played it well. If you look back at the comics... It's very hard to characterize because comics can make a one-dimensional character seem multi-dimensional because it's a comic. So when you're putting something like this to screen and you're saying, okay, we need kind of like a one-dimensional character, I think Stallone was like literally the number one pick. The only other person who could have fit that line, I mean, I know I'm probably going to ruffle a couple of feathers here, would be Keanu Reeves. Keanu Reeves could do it. I could see a Vin Diesel. 
Or that you know what? Uh, I don't know how we would work with the hair, but I'm pretty sure they figure out something. <laughs> <laughs> no. He he had hair. It was it was special. He had a fro. That's right. He did uh actually in the uh what is that? The Last Witch Hunter. I yes. think he had hair very briefly. But no, I thought it was a great movie. The sisters. I want to say honestly, I know a lot of you might disagree with me. I honestly think Rob Schneider saved them in this movie. I think that. I am not always a go-to for his comedy, but having him next to him during that whole movie was just, it was just, it was like peanut butter and jelly. You know, it just, it, it worked. All right. Where, yeah, where you had that kind of characterization that says, you know, I am the law. And you had Rob Schneider kind of <laughs> looking at him like, maybe that might be a little bit much, you know, but okay. <laughs> Hot take. Yeah. Definitely a movie where people are interpreting it in different levels of how comic booky it is, depending on the actor. And Rob Schneider definitely pulled pulled out all the stops to make sure that no one's feeling like the situation is being taken too seriously. Chad, how about you? Yeah, I was really excited. I've only seen this movie one previous time, and it was... Uh, middle school-ish age so it was perfect age you know 13 14 year old boy things being blown up just great action i'm here for it i remembered having a good time i'm familiar with the judge dread comics familiar with that background i've seen dread as well uh, a couple times i immediately went and watched dread again after this because this movie excites me i remembered having a good time was eager to re revisit it the 90s were such a interesting time for comics because they're so different than what we have today uh, aside from like guardians of the galaxy we've really gotten into this dark and gritty and just this sad environment uh you know you have especially the dc superman he's just sulky and here we just have bright and campy so i'm all for it i like the guardians of the galaxy humor and i like the humor in this so Okay, okay. Well, I'm convinced that I've watched this movie before at some point, because I remember about the first half of it, huh. and then falls off a cliff in my memory, and I didn't remember anything else. So I got through the second half unspoiled somehow, so uh, it, was, it was definitely an interesting experience. I have no idea where I had picked it up before, but I did vaguely remember the scene of Max von Sydow walking out into the desert and thinking now as much as then i want my dune movie right now please give it to me <laughs> and that that was characterized fantastic out on your own you don't know where he went he left you on a cliffhanger well obviously you picked it back up a little bit later but i agree the uh the referral there is definitely a pretty awesome one i like it yeah this is exactly how i would imagine arrakis to be and terrifying idea of walking out into the desert with just this trench coat, a gun, and your wits, and that's all. <laughs> the long walk. The yes. long walk. Well, we're going to take a very short walk for our advertisement break, and when we come back, we will be spoiling everything about this movie. What happens when two modern film fans go back and rewatch all the old classic films from yesteryear to see if they hold up? You get the Classic Film Jerks podcast. Find the Classic Film Jerks podcast on all the major platforms. Welcome to the Flashback Flicks Retro Movie Podcast. I'm Ricky. I'm Grayson. And every week we review a movie from the past and reflect on things we missed, things we loved, and things we want to see again. 
Yeah, because we believe any movie worth watching is worth watching again. So if you like films, friendship, and a lot of callbacks, I mean, just so many callbacks, then subscribe on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, or wherever RSS feeds go for like-minded, movie-loving individuals like you. Welcome back. We are about to give spoilers for the 1995 movie Judge Dredd. And Chad, will you give us the recap? I love spoiling things. Spoil away. It's the year 2139. The old justice system has been abolished. In its stead, judges serve as officer, judge, jury, and executioner. The best of them is Judge Joseph Dredd. Paired with Judge Hershey, Dredd is tasked with ending a block war. They succeed. One of Dredd's critics is then murdered. Dredd is framed and convicted. Together with a criminal, Dredd escapes and seeks revenge. In the meantime, judges are assassinated by an escaped convict by the name of Rico. Rico is given aid by Chief Justice Griffin. Griffin convinces the other judges to clone new judges to replace their losses. The clones would actually be that of Rico. Plot twist, Rico is Dredd's clone brother, and he framed Judge Dredd. A showdown occurs, with Dredd emerging victorious. Fantastic. That's a succinct explanation of what was actually a very complicated plot. There's a lot going on in this movie. What do we think about the way that this plot unfolds? I think the plot was... Actually, I'm going to agree with you. Uh, I think the plot in the beginning was very well thought of. I feel like it did fall off a tad bit in the end. Um, obviously, you have the start where Dredd is set up. Uh, Dredd is sent away to maximum security prison. The plane is destroyed by some carnivores. Uh, if you have seen the movie, this is where I guess they open up a little bit more of that comedy breakup into it. Uh, once again, Snyder steps in and kind of steals the movie away. The thing is, is that Dredd plays his role so... I don't even want to say it's not intuitive, but he just plays the role as kind of like this aloof, but following the law to the T where I suppose he really misses a lot. I think the character, uh, Armand Asante Rico, I think he definitely outplayed Stallone in this movie with his intent on what he was going to do in his plot. And I think that's where things get a little bit weird because very briefly he was incarcerated and, you know, you see these movies and obviously the bad guy always manages to find a way out. And I know it would probably make a movie about four hours long, but it always makes me think like, when did you have time or an opportunity to set this conversation up? <laughs> you know, if you if you've seen the movie um, and if you do go see the movie, he is on some mechatronic island of a prison. You know, do you do you press a button and do you call? Can I speak to this person so that I can plot, you know, my opportunity to get out of this? It's just far fetched. I mean, this is a prison where everything you're doing is being recorded in order to control a bunch of auto cannons, which are on several places around the walls. So everything they're talking about is being heard by the central computer that sort of hangs over this movie as a random plot element and device that could sort of at any time help any character. And it's kind of terrifying to think about it that 
they for some reason trust that they're not going to be recorded having an evil villain conversation and then two shots later it gets completely betrayed against them as uh as Rico escapes let's not forget they're not afraid to just straight up murder you for things i mean <laughs> yes like your your crime is not going to be a couple extra years it's going to be a special bullet right to the chest yeah, yes. right now. Um, and considering that they're not computers at all, I mean, I. However, we're gonna say that Dread is a clone or was intended to be a clone. It's just like, okay, so this is what you're doing. Um, I'm not okay with it. You die. <laughs> yeah. Guilty. Guilty. I love that scene where he's just blasting. Six, guilty. Guilty. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The puns here is fantastic. First of all, so we have. Let's let's put it like this. So Stallone and Schwarzenegger, I want to say, have been going back and forth for quite some time. I don't know um, how how familiar you are with it, but there was this big thing because Stallone was coming out around the same time Schwarzenegger was coming out. So I think he had Rocky. Schwarzenegger had Commando. And Schwarzenegger movies that was actually doing better than Stallone's. The reason why I bring this to a, to a point is that Schwarzenegger was like the guy for one-line statements. Yep. And there are one-line statements throughout this whole movie. You know, uh, um, Judge uh, Judge Dredd, uh, I think Fergie says something along the lines of, I'm not guilty. Just, I knew you'd I say, knew that. You would say that. <laughs> exactly. It's like, come on, you know. I just, I don't know. I liked it, but it was kind of like, all right, so you guys are just going to do this throughout the whole movie. <laughs> And that, I think, speaks a lot to one of these big differences where the, the 2012 film, Dread, is very serious in a way. There aren't those one-liners. It's not a comic book film. When you start this one up, it is a comic book film, start to finish. It, it doesn't quite devolve into parody, but it is absolutely self-aware about how it's building this guy up. There's two judges on the ground in the middle of a firefight, hunkering down, terrified, waiting for backup. And finally, a lone motorcyclist shows up wearing golden armor, standing in the middle of the firefight as if nothing can touch him. He looks up. They say, what are you doing? You're in the you're totally exposed. He reads the exact identification of the guns and bullets that are being shot at him. We're safe down here. What are you doing hiding? We're going to take this place. It's just the most over-the-top setup for a character you can possibly imagine. And being that I was in the military, I think that that gives me a a very... I'm very hard on movies, you know. Uh, uh, before, I was like, oh, this is real. You know, when you go back and you watch all of the Rambos and you realize that in Rambo 2... He, he killed like 50 people holding probably about 60 pounds in both hands. <laughs> they all had individual weapons and no one was capable of just piercing him. So when you look at Dread, Dread was fighting from a place on the ground. Everybody was above him. Nothing happens to him at all. It's just like everybody, even the worst person who can shoot, can figure out how to hit somebody. Yeah, that's a huge scene in The Rock. They have the high ground. Stand down. Oh, my God. Sean Connery and Nicolas Cage. I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. And they still managed to get out of that unscathed. I don't know how that even worked out. And, and what is that? Ed Harris, right? Um, oh, yes. mm -hmm. 
was 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 fantastic in that movie. Yeah. And I'm like, you're 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 you have all trained assassins in an above state. No one was able to kill them. Yeah, it was Navy SEALs that got captured. Yes, I think they were. Yeah, they were they were they were retired or 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 got kicked out or something of the sort. Yeah, that that, that now that plot that's a that's a very um common plot too, you know, that uh militaries have they've just not been recorded or respected enough and now they want to basically blow up the whole world. That's been going on since the start of our country. Almost had an insurrection under George Washington. Yeah. Kind of touching on where you were going, Nate. Uh, Nathan, excuse me. If you look across the board, I don't know if it's been a director's path or where our world was going. Most of the reboots, rehashing, uh, remakes have all taken like a rather dark turn. Total Recall, right? Great movie considering new ideas. And then they went the Total Recall. I think it was... uh. Um, but yeah, it was dark. It was dark. Uh, uh, Zack Snyder's, uh, he went with the uh, Justice League. I'm waiting yeah. for that to come out. That's going to take a little bit of a darker. Superman, obviously, once again, a little bit more darker. It just, it, it seems like that happens to be a, a common thing. I wonder if they're, they're, I think what it is is that a lot of people were finding themselves not to be okay with the, the common hero that comes out on top and you know what's going to happen, you know, yeah. I suppose. I do think that it's possibly, and I will say, it might be something to do with movies like this where a hero is presented, and it's not that, it's not the fact that it's unrealistic the way that he's presented being, you know, invincible and all-powerful and all that sort of thing, but it's about the consequences about what happens, because there is a lens that you can think about this movie where the consequences of what he's doing should be terrible. The way that the police operates in this society should be horrific. And you could almost argue that the police in the society, the judges are as much or more villainous than any of the criminals that they take, take down on the streets. There's a argument to be made that the current, brand of movie is not actually any darker than what's being showed in this movie but it focuses on the consequences that would actually take place if you watch this movie i think that there's a reading of this movie which is really interesting that is actually from fergie's perspective uh rob schneider's this movie for this character is a total horror show society treats him in a way that criminalizes him and prevents him from turning over a new leaf so i think it's kind of interesting to look at that dichotomy here so you know what he never got his apology he never did never did he gets carted off and he probably gets sent back to prison oh yeah if i get shot at least say i'm sorry read from that lens this movie is actually supporting a certain worldview that's kind of terrifying in a way because the music is celebrating the ending, despite, like, why is this a good thing that Judge Dredd is returning to the streets without actually confronting any any of the, like, issues that he's had? He has an opportunity to try to fix the system that he knows is wrong now. I think it's best he didn't get a promotion, to be perfectly honest. <laughs> yeah, I do. I, I agree. I I also think that... If you want to correlate this with a lot of movies, um, and I mean, honestly, to a certain extent, what changes can be, if you look at it 
all of these movies, and this movie in particular, portrays, you know, um, that scene when uh, Max von Sydow uh, talks to Judge Dredd. And he says, you know, you know, there's corruption. You know, it started out under good intentions yeah, and yeah. completely to the left. But if you think about The Walking Dead, how many times did they start out under good intentions? Yeah. And it just it just goes to show you that individuals can mess up good intents. Yeah. That's why, like, I think, once again, Snyder's. Uh, uh, overlooked because Fergie really called him out on the plane. He was like, "Well, then what happened to you?" And he's like, "The law's never wrong." He's like, "Well, uh, well, he- hello, are you not on this plane with me?" Yep. And he's like, "Well," uh, and he has not frowned real hard. Yeah, that was that would have been perfect opportunity, Chad, to say, "You know what? I'm sorry," and he and he still didn't. He deserved it for nuking that car, if nothing else. <laughs> Hey, that guy deserved that. Walked, let him walk into killing himself. Uh, he did try. <laughs> I would say uh, when he when they were strung up, you know, he did try to say, "Hey, you should probably stop talking." But you know, it was like, okay, he's like, "Now I need your help." He's like, "Wait, what? Now you need my help?" I don't understand. What is yeah. what's happening? Um, and and I think Nathan, I think you hit the nail on the coffin. It does go to show that you have a criminal. He had intent to do well, but sometimes. In doing well, perception can be always mis- misperceived. Yeah, he's just trying to save his own skin. Yeah, he was trying to save his butt. I do like his uh, his line when they're strung up. He's like, eat dread, he works out. If you're thinking about it. <laughs> I, oh my gosh, yes. Or he's like, I'm saved, brother. So many, so many great, great, great puns. I think I think Rico Armand Asante really has that villain down pack i mean everything the look about him i mean it's just it's just it's great uh the machine that he was rocking around with yes abc uh, the old yeah. the old bot yeah fantastic fantastic well done well plot out uh and and once again he had some sort of good intentions he was like i'm gonna redo this i'm gonna restart this i'm gonna get rid of uh genesis and, and start again maybe a little bit of a twisted concept on it but he had some some sort of of good intention you mentioned earlier about arnold like he was supposed to play dread when they when they first were going to make judge dread it was going to be arnold schwarzenegger that's who they had in mind but robocop messed it up so much sense no way that makes so much sense it does it does make a lot of sense yeah it's because robocop borrowed so heavily from judge dread and russell's going to be mad about that because he loves robocop they had to delay this for so long, and by then it was just like Arnold was busy with other stuff. But by the tone of this movie, and I know Sly Stallone really kind of rewrote the tone of this movie, but yeah, Arnold in the one-liners really fits here. Yeah, well, if you look at Stallone's characterization across the board, he loves the the down-and-out character that's not going to make it that makes it. He loves that. I mean, just look at all of his movies. You're like... There's no way he's going to make it out of this. But, of course, the plane gets shot down. He runs back into his old judge that tells him, hey, this is how you can do it. Um, his old partner helps him go further. And and, and things just work out in his favor, you know. Um, and I, I love timing. I think timing in movies is fantastic. You know, that the Genesis Chamber takes however so much amount of time to create the new clones. And they're, like, right there. 
before they destroy it. It's like right there. It's like, hey, we're waking up, you know, and just timing is fantastic. Uh, yeah. Rico also, it's it's a great good and bad, but it's all in the interpretation. Rico what, is screwed. What is it with this era of science fiction and the idea that if you have these genetically modified creations, the one that is closer to being human is always the evil one. Like in the next generation of Star Trek, you have Data, who's quite emotionless, but trying to become more human. And then he encounters his slightly older failed experiment brother, who is very human emotional and that way, and is a complete evil person. And this is the same thing. Judge Dredd is totally emotionless this whole movie. He's just, he is the law. And then you have his more emotional twin brother, who is apparently completely evil. What is it about that? Well, I think I think that they see. I'm gonna say per movie, okay. Yeah. I don't want this to be taken out of context here, but I think per movie they see humanity's destruction, right? So the emotionless person was created to do a scripted action, mm-hmm. and the person with those emotions, they're normally tied to their maker, Frankenstein, tied to his maker. Yeah. Uh, and and in that they see flaws. And when they see the flaws, it's like, well, something's not right. You know, I see it's not right, but I was designed to do all these great things, you know, but you're just as bad as you're just as bad as everybody else. And I I think that's what happens that just some gear or some concept that the writer or producer screenwriters, they see it is just like, you know, this this is a flawed maker, you know, and then they just go from there. And it's like, well, you guys are literally just using me to destroy your own people. Yep. Yeah. It's 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 wicked, but it's 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 that's why I wanted to keep it within the source of the movies because I know that this can be like okay, well, where are we <laughs> going with this, Chris? You know, I'm like, no, let's let's keep it let's keep it home base. Let's stay here. Uh, Spock is like the only savior, you know, that comes out. He's like, <laughs> you know, I want to save everybody. You know, I get it. You know, you guys are screwed up, but I'm a little bit human. I suppose he was bullied, and I guess that worked out in his favor. <laughs> apparently so maybe that's the secret if future spock never came and saw him maybe things would have went a different way very nice yeah maybe things would have went a different way well i think we've been dancing around the really strong acting in this movie the and when i say strong i mean that each actor is putting out a character that is completely committed to they're all extremely big parts yeah, I I like the cast. I I will criticize Diane Lane. Uh, her casting at one point, like I don't care how good of a judge she is, she is not lifting Sylvester Stallone. Like no way, agree. <laughs> agree. Like what an odd scene. Uh, I don't care what her training is, however many push ups she does, pull ups, whatever. You're not picking Sly Stallone up in full armor. <laughs> Who knows? Maybe before they were doing full on cloning, they were trying to do like body modifications and just ridiculous steroids yeah she needs to look like gina carano for me to believe that. <laughs> in order to believe that yeah, yeah she did a great I, job i believe though. that well you know what uh honestly i want to say that stallone was probably his smallest in this movie per the movies that he was doing at the time 
Actually, if you look back, you know, you notice that he didn't actually start getting bigger until like Rambo 2. Yeah. But still, I agree with you nonetheless. I want to go in the direction of Armand Asante. I think that there was a couple of moments at the end of the movie where you see this change from this very cunning, conniving, you know, very calculated guy to where he's having a conversation with Sylvester Stallone, you know, uh, Judge Dredd about, you know, you, you judge me. I was your brother. And he actually has like a very brief, but, you know, very believable breakdown to say that, you know, I was your brother. You know, how could you judge me? How could you, how could you do that to me? You know, uh, and like even forces a crack in his voice at some parts of the scene. You're like, wow. Yeah, you know this is believable. He was, and it goes. Just, it goes back to my my initial comment. Good intentions, but you know things happen, and and it skews those intentions because he was legitimately hurt, and through being hurt, he was like, well, okay, this is what I'm gonna do. Very very loud way to get someone's attention, but hey, it was it was it was effective. But could you see Christopher Walken doing that part? Hey, uh, you know, I was your brother. <laughs> very nice very nice yeah he was considered for rico and i i kind of want to see it oh <laughs> armand asante it was absolutely the right choice but i kind of want to see walk in here just because it it doesn't matter what role i'll see him play superman whatever hey lois <laughs> <laughs> or walking dead you know uh walking dead was a great one yes uh, uh, yeah, it, you know, and for however much we give him for those traits that stick out in his voice, I still think he's a great actor. Oh, yeah. Handsome, great actor. Armand Asante, I think Max uh, Von Sydow did a fantastic job. Even Jurgen, I think I think he did a really great job. I, I want to say that Joanne Chen was kind of overshadowed by pretty much everybody in this movie. Oh, I liked her. I wasn't sure a lot of this movie what her what was going through her head because it seems like she's really suspicious of Rico for a very long time. Seems like she's really maybe even going to push back on what he's doing, and then at the end of the film, she turns out to totally be fighting with him and helping him out. So I don't know. I I couldn't read her. She did her own stunts though, so props to her and Diane oh, Lane fantastic. for that fight scene. Nice. I did not know that. Yeah, great job. That is always great to hear. I don't know. Like I said before, I, I think that Stallone was a good fit. I can say this honestly that I've seen the uh, the updated Dread. I didn't care for the gentleman who played the role that then. I, I honestly, I don't even know what was his name. Um, are you familiar with his name, Chad? I like that you couldn't see his face, but in this one, you know, you don't hire Sylvester Stallone without taking off the helmet that upset comic book fans but yeah that was carl urban yes thank you thank you oh wow yeah see i, I didn't even know that um yeah. so yeah and so there's a movie right there's this there's this i want to say it's either chinese or japanese movies called raid they made like three of them raid and the concept of the movie is that they go into this neighborhood where it's this this low income uprising of apartments and it's like they start on the first floor and get all the way up to the top floor to find the bad guy Mm -hmm. I say that in reference to say that in the updated Judge Dredd, there is a scene where they're going through apartments. Once again, they're going up and up and up and up and up. And there's this disparity or this discernment for like, how are you guys even making this work? There is upteen amount of people trying to kill you. And somehow <laughs> you're still managing to make it out. I don't get it. I, you know, 
I know that if I were to make a movie, it would not be viewed because I would make a movie from a different perspective where, you know, it would be like the concept of Game of Thrones where you'd be like, I really like that character. He would die. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's like, yeah, just just show. Uh, uh, I get it. You know, you want to carry a movie for a long time. And in doing so, you have to make some far fetched script. And I, I suppose that makes sense. Otherwise, you wouldn't, be honest, you wouldn't last enough, two hours. To be honest, for the Dread 2012 movie, I was mostly willing to believe a lot of this stuff until at the end of the movie, it turns out that their armor isn't bulletproof. And then you, like, look back at the rest of the movie and go, oh, wait, none of this makes any sense at all. You shot <laughs> it, like, multiple amounts of times, and you're like, wait, so you are, you, you self-heal? What's going on here? What's Have happening? Gatling guns firing at you? The specialty guns were cool, but I will give a shout out to Lena Headey's Mama. That's probably one of the best female villains of all time. Oh, yeah. Definitely agree. Definitely agree. And, and touching on what you said, I would say that they did fantastic with the weapons. Uh, 1995. Yeah. Weapons and, and equipment. A little bit far-fetched with the motorcycle, but I, I, I liked it. I liked it a lot. I liked the uh, the laser guns and how they needed time to, you know... It was kind of like, I want to say, what was that uh, with uh, Stallone and Wesley Snipes, uh, the futuristic one also? Demolition Man. We covered it. Dem yeah, Demolition Man. You know, where I think it was Snipes who had to wait for about maybe a couple of seconds for that laser to kick in. Yeah. And then once the laser kicked in, it was like, okay, it's time. <laughs> it's time. So, yeah, great job with the props. Definitely great job with the props and the suits. Yes. Um, may have been completely overlooked, but the suits were fantastic. Little less cod piece from, you know that uh, I could have done without that. But yeah, the the gold on the shoulders and everything else I loved. This was one of those things where the beginning of the movie it pans up and it's like spandex legs, spandex legs, spandex legs, gold cod piece, spandex <laughs> chest piece, spandex chest, spandex ch chest, gold pauldrons, the most ridiculous one you ones you've ever seen in your life. Helmet. Yes. The helmets were awesome. Yeah. I got like a, a completely, completely connected, but just really random thing to say. It's just that, can we just acknowledge James Earl Jones is like probably one of the best voices yes. ever. Like, oh just, my gosh. Oh, it's just, you're like, wait, because automatically, as soon as you hear him first talking, you're like, is that? Yeah. Yes, uh -huh. it is. Yes, it is. <laughs> it's James Earl Jones. Yep. Oh man. You know, Darth it's Vader should read every, every crawl. crawl. I was a little sad for him. I'm sure he was thinking, what nonsense am I reading? <laughs> How much am I getting paid to read this? Like, I don't know, but that would be an auto awesome autobiography because we're talking about multiple movies that he's read for to find out. Like, what were they paying him exactly to be this? Yeah, that's a good question. I'm going to look that up after we finish with this. Is there a James Earl Jones Star Wars opening crawl read? Because that would be awesome. Uh, you know what? I don't know. That would. It is a dark time for the rebellion. Oh my God! You you might you might shake some things up. They might start finding asking people if they see it now. I would love to hear that. And if it doesn't already exist, somebody ask for it. <laughs> <laughs> Please do. I agree. I agree. Uh, but I think I think it's very hard for directors to take on these scripts and trust that from the beginning to the end, it's going to be a winner. That's one of the things that amazes me about movies like this, where someone's writing a script where the script assumes that 
X, Y, and Z props are all going to work. That it's going to be cool that Judge Dredd is standing outside in this hallway and he says, double whammy. <laughs> and the gun does a cool thing and then he turns around and shoots two people with a double whammy gun. That's something that, I mean, that is faith as a writer, that someone's going to really pull something off. I mean, there's another scene like that. Um, I don't know, Fifth Element. There's one scene when they're like all in the uh, open with the Mangaloids and Gary Oldman, uh, yes. he shoots the weapon and he shoots it and then he turns around and shoots it at them. But the, the bullets like bend and go right back to the target. He's like, you see, you shoot one, they all go back up to the same place. And um, I don't know, that part of the script was fantastic. It's just great. Uh, so yeah, I agree with you 100% that you're like, okay, this is going to work. This is going to work. This is going to work. And, and and sometimes you do get it. Sometimes you do work. I think that there were definitely great moments in this movie. The uh, the last scene where he's holding Rico and you think that like, OK, you know, he's, he's going to save him, you know, and it's like, no, nope, no, nope, it's not going to work out. So, yeah, it's going to work out at all. The, the scene with uh, Max Vandal, Judge Farco, and you find out that he's actually still alive and you're like, oh, my mind is blown. Oh, oh. Yeah, you're like, how did you survive? How did you make it out here? You know, that must have, like, unlimited ammo. <laughs> but, yeah, but it's, 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 there's definitely great moments in the movie to see that, for whatever reason, he's callous with everyone else. But for whatever reason, when it comes to Judge Hershey, that it's like, I'm a, I'm a regular, normal person. So, you know, there's definitely, there's definitely things and moments, you know, where they find themselves, I suppose, finding the, the sincerity of the audience, I suppose. That's a safe thing to say. And I think they did a great job with that. I really do. Now that you say that, it really does point out to me the only person that he speaks to with anything less than just utterly straight-faced, no emotions, is Judge Hershey. And maybe Fargo? Maybe? But he's still very much the student, on even, even when he's theoretically at parade rest, he's still just utterly, utterly straight-faced. I guess I got one more thing to touch on this one, which is like, how do you write something or like you find out these these cliffhanger moments in the movies and the cliffhanger moment in this movie for them is the picture. I don't know if you remember it, but Judge Dredd has this baby picture and I think Hershey is showing it to somebody and some guy who for whatever reason is not making it to the main cast to see is like, you do know that this picture is is skewed. It's off a little bit. And I'm like, how did you see that? You you you're like <laughs> you know you're like wait how did that work out and what made you make that assumption and future Photoshop must save JPEGs with full history in oh them. definitely definitely I I agree because yeah so you go back and you're like wait you do know there's somebody else in this picture and you're like okay so we cloned them into babies and grew them as full grown men and they do acknowledge that that the first program was a little bit more difficult because they had to grow them full body. Mm -hmm. But it's just, I don't know. I don't know. It's its a lot. It's a lot. I will say, as a, 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 I appreciate the idea at the end that Rico is so desperate that he makes the computer release the clones early. And the computer says, they're only 60%. This isn't going to work. 
and they don't work. <laughs> Agreed. Like, they come out and it doesn't work. Uh, in a lot of movies, I feel like they would come out and still be terrifying. Yeah. In this, it's like, I'm rising from the dead and I can't do anything because I'm a sloppy mess. Yeah, they're suddenly stronger and faster. They're just not smart. It's like, that's the 60, that's the 40% they were missing? A free will? Great. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I suppose the depiction in court with uh, Judge Dredd when he's like, uh, who's going to be your lawyer? Uh, Hershey. You know, Hershey's, Hershey's going to be my lawyer. And she's like, um, I'm not a lawyer. You know, and she's like, no, 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 you can do this. You, you, you can work it out. And you see her standing in court and they're like, you're going, you're going to jail. And he's like, wait, I haven't had an opportunity to present this and that. And it, it shows you that that depiction of the courtroom is completely biased per whomever desire is the largest person either to be the person with the money or the person with the ulterior motive yeah i mean this is also what happens in my mind what was happening was that because all the judges were filling all these roles where they really are judge jury executioner all in one sort of thing they're being forced to try to know everything and you can't function effectively when you're trying to know everything. So, of course, something's going to go wrong because everyone's trying to be everything and not rely on anybody else. You know, of, of course, something is going to go wrong. So, I don't know. It didn't seem to me like it was totally unlikely that you would ask one of your other judge friends to help you out. But definitely, definitely a, a hard situation when uh, the central computer is against you. Yeah, I can accept that cheesy moment the end of the movie he's on the bike and they go for the kiss and it's just like okay i suppose that writing this into the script was for i don't know comedy relief and i'm just like ah just wish you would just stay in your mode you know just like don't change it over because you're still a clone you know <laughs> nothing's changed about that and you're still getting ready to go out and kill people senselessly so so <laughs> He yeah, never acknowledged, yeah. like, you know what, maybe I need to stop killing people. He did acknowledge in some sense with that little grunt or this little kind of obtuse look on his face. Yeah. like Maybe something's wrong, but he never said, okay, so it's possible we really need to take a look back and change things. He's just like, I'm going to get out the bike. I got to go to work. What yeah. are you going to do, Judge Dredd? I'm going to go <laughs> kill people more. Please shower at least. <laughs> no. Take some me time. Take some personal time. Get get, get him a shot. More people to die. <laughs> if you if you want personal growth this is not your movie this is not that kind <laughs> no of movie. not at all not at yeah. all not at all yeah and, and i think a lot of that comes down to some of the direction directing decisions that that happen in this movie this is a movie Dan directed by danny cannon also has directed 1993 as the young americans 1998 the phoenix 1998 i still know what you did last summer 2005 goal the dream begins and 2017's geostorm what did you think of the direction of this movie chris I think the direction of this movie went well up until he met with Fargo. And I think after that, I think after that, they were winging it. I have many books that I've written and songs that I've written where, like, the beginning of it was like, oh, my God, this is going to be great. And then, I put, and then I put it down. When you put something down that you write, it's like the worst thing you can do. You want to, as an, as an individual writer, you hope and you pray that you can write down everything right then and there. Because technically, sometimes when you come back to a script 
to a song, to a book, even though it's the same person writing it, it can seem like it's coming from a different person's perspective. Oh my gosh, that hits home so hard. I think like, <laughs> the second half of that movie was just kind of like, okay, we'll work it into the end and just go as we as we see fit. Um, <laughs> We're running uh, out of time. We got to do this. Yeah, yeah we got to fit it in two out. hours. Somebody had carefully mapped out exactly how you get to, from point A to point B, and they knew they wanted to get to point C eventually, but that was not it. I think it really shows, like, Canon wanted the dark and gritty dread that we got in 2012, but Stallone insisted that this needed to be more bright, colorful, and comedic. Interesting. I think that uh, that fight shows up here, but I do get some of the influence that if you've ever watched CSI Miami, it has these dumb quips all the time. So someone like dies after falling out of a balcony and the inspector would come up and say, looks like he really fell for her. And then it'd cue up uh, the yeah from famous who song and into the CSI Miami theme. So yeah, there was a lot of that too, of just these goofy quips, but Canon said in interviews with Dredd, uh, Judge Dredd, he talks about, hey, I wanted a different movie, and Sylvester was the big star, so he got his way. Yeah, that's really interesting because there are, and, and I think in the second half of the movie, it starts to go back then towards what I think Canon probably might have wanted, where it does get more serious and a little bit more on the James Bond end of the scale. Yeah. Where it, I mean, Rico by the end, is a Bond villain in a way. Yeah, yeah, he absolutely <laughs> is. He's uh, he's like Alec Trevelyan. He's got his evil plan. He betrays somebody in his organization and all, all this stuff. He's monologuing. He's doing all this stuff. And it's and it's very serious. But um, but yeah, throughout, anything involving Sylvester is uh, just totally... There's always something to lighten the mood a little bit. And... Uh, Quite often, that is the, the the Fergie character. Yes. Yes, definitely, definitely agreed. I think um, I think he lightens the whole movie up. I think his 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 comedy reliefs are timing is perfect throughout the whole movie. Even when he was stuck up there on the second floor, trying not to get shot, <laughs> looking for the best option out. You know, the timing, okay, the, the timing was fantastic. Uh, the the other thing that I noticed, and 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 that goes into some of this maybe uh, strain between two sides here, is uh, the 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 soundtrack by Alan Silvestri is very bright and hopeful. This is this is a soundtrack that is hyper heroic. There's there's scenes here where Judge Dredd is darkly having to kill off other the the, the black clad judges who are obviously all corrupt and he's gunning them down on the bike chase and <laughs> you can you can read it from an angle of oh my gosh he's he's killing people who are theoretically maybe they're corrupt cops so maybe that's like not horrifying but like maybe they got duped into it are we agreeing with this and the music is like yes we're agreeing with this heroic moment yeah, it was a very bombastic score it, it reminded me of avengers type moments of it heroism does, it? It, it, it did it kind of conflicted with what we're seeing i had the same thought i was like you know some of these cops on the bikes were probably just told hey murderer just escaped go chase him down and we're watching yeah. him die 
I kind of feel bad for the stormtroopers too, but yeah, you know, yeah. signed up for the Empire, I guess. They're they're flying by on on motor on uh, flying bikes, firing weapons and blowing up buildings as they as they as they go across. <laughs> if you break it down in its raw form, they were literally like executing people, oh, yeah. like for the whole movie. Just just. Uh-huh. No judgment on whether or not we're going to bring you the court or anything. We were just executing people. And so you're like, okay, so how do we want to go about this? We want to go dark or we want to score it in a, a lightly manner. So, like, how do you do that? Uh, well, I play some up, uplifting music or some uplifting score of, of, of uh, instruments, you know, to, to make the um, the watchers think that, oh, it's not that bad. You know, it's, yeah, not that bad. They died. They're just stormtroopers. It's okay. They died melodically, so it's okay. <laughs> Very nice. Yeah, just put trumpets in. It's fine. Thank you for that line. <laughs> yeah, man. It's, it's 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 always better, you know, when you when you have good music behind you. I was watching something where they said, "What would scenes be if you changed certain musics behind them?" And I thought this was such a great idea. And I watched them do like two of them. They changed the scene where uh, Tony Stark uh, gets the Infinity Stones and snaps, and um, they change it to like the first uh, Iron Man. You know when he, when he's in the beginning of the uh, the Humvee, yes. he's like da 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 da, and they change that moment to that. Yeah, and, and it's like, okay, this can be something. We might have to go somewhere with this. If you change scores on certain movies, what direction would it go? If you think about it, so if you travel back, I don't know how much you guys are into old movies. If you think about the older, like, 1980s, the Supermans, and all of that, if you listen to the foundation of them, most of them all had the same sound. Even Star Wars. If you listen to the foundation... This was very reminiscent of Star Wars music in a lot of places. Yeah. There were times when I thought that the only difference between this and let's say Star Wars episode four music was the fact that this movie changes moods at about five times the pace. So (laughs) episode four music, you get about three minutes of uninterrupted establishing the mood at a time. And this movie is like, no, we got to move on. You get 20 seconds of this emotion and then you get 30 seconds of this emotion and then you get 10 seconds of this emotion. And uh, and, and it just, there's a lot of music. It's continuous. It's always going on. It's well-made. It's well-scored. Uh, I just personally was starting to feel a little bit of the, uh, the score is emotionally manipulating me continuously and I'm not super happy about it. <laughs> I'm fine with it. But yeah, I, in my notes, I wrote, hey, this score is getting really busy. Like <laughs> <laughs> well they maybe they could have put uh 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 montages like rocky maybe it would have worked out better exactly <laughs> it would have been fantastic just a montage through the whole desert scene yeah you just oh, go on following through it and be like, yeah oh, something really happened during this time that was something that i was wondering in this movie like other you know we see one group of cultists out in the desert but i'm really curious what you know what what is society out there i want more time which is to say i want this movie to actually be set on arrakis in the dune universe and the city to be actually a city in dune being oppressed by the harkonnens so um i may be slightly excited about the upcoming dune movie 
Mean Machine Angels makeup, though. That still held up. That was awesome, and I was glad for that. There was nothing like that in 2012 where you're meeting these mutants. I hope that his hand does have a fork attached to it. That was a great insult. But, like, if you're making a robot that's... Or, or not a robot, but a cyborg, I want to have a fork that's part of my robotic repertoire. It would be great. Yeah, I, I can agree with that. Yeah, the fact they went and actually built that robot, though. You mentioned the robot Hammerstein. The ABC, yeah. Hammerstein, yeah, great. I didn't know... I didn't remember the name. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's awesome that... They couldn't get it to work. They tried to stick a guy in the suit, and I just love an engineer's mindset. They're like, we can't get a puppet to work. We might as well just build an, a functioning robot. Yeah, that's easy. <laughs> There's been a lot around that. I mean, if you actually, I think the first Predator was a suit, but they found out that the uh, the suit was too hot. Yeah. Uh. There's been a lot of a lot of air around how did we get these suits animatronically to work out. You know, I think they did a great job with Jurassic Park. Yes, yeah, are. and Alien, I mean, that's the same sort of thing where those suits are crazy. I mean, you have to hire dancers who like know how to maybe move the body in unusual ways. It's so cool what they can do. Okay, so not the best movie in the world, but Pacific Rim. Mm. I mean, if you take it for, for face value. It is what it is. Yeah. <laughs> it's not pretending to be anything it's not. Yeah, not the greatest movie in the world, but you know what? They 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 did a, a good job with the machines. I'll tell you what, I'll give you a better one. Um, I think uh, Matt Damon did Elysium. I think that was better. Okay. One funny thing about the ABC robot in this movie that that I found was Rico goes to find it in this shop that's very run down. The guy says, "Oh yeah, it's illegal to have these, but like as just so long as they don't work." Rico turns it on so easily that it's as if this law essentially says you're allowed to own a tank as long as you don't keep the keys in the ignition. Like, you know, as long as the keys aren't there, it's fine. <laughs> I can see that being completely possible, though. I thought they said had some hand waving of like only a judge can activate it or something like that. Oh, well, that I think that's gun. right. Same thing with the guns, right? Yeah. yeah. Oh, were the robots associated with the judges? I never got that impression, but that would explain a lot. Because there was this air of curiosity as towards how did Judge Dredd's weapon get used if only a judge could use it. Yeah. Right. Led to him being uh, convicted easier. But I had thought that the robots were something separate, but how cool would it be if the robots were just one other earlier iteration of trying to come up with better judges? They tried the robots first, and that failed in the war or something, and then they tried slow cloning to make the perfect judge and that failed and then they have this new fast cloning approach i mean you did make the analogy to robocop you made it yeah you've just described all of the star wars prequels that's literally <laughs> how it went down. i mean speaking of the star wars prequels there's a scene in this movie that star wars episode 2 basically completely rips off it's the chase scene where they're flying on bikes through a city filled with holograms and they're flying around, and the chase scene in Star Wars 2 is so close to it, down to them flying through the like the hologram billboard. The only difference being that for some reason in this city, the billboard opens and closes its hologram, and if you hit it while it's closed, or it hits you as it's closing, it kills you. Yes. I didn't get the logic what? behind that. That was a great point you just brought out. I don't even get the logic behind it myself. And this is a city that's advertising recycled food, it's good for the environment, and okay for you. 
I mean, if you're going to try to feed 65 million people in a city that doesn't seem to have any farmland, I don't know what else you're going to try, honestly. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this this movie is, it knows what it is. It even mentions Corner of Abbott and Costello. It's like, <laughs> wow, great catch. Great I did not catch that. Nothing we are going to do should ever be taken seriously. Just sit back and enjoy Stil Sylvester Stallone making quips like courts adjourned. <laughs> I know I'm going to be very petty for this, but I just, you know, I have to pick a part that there's never any safety precaution or any <laughs> acknowledgement of how someone is supposed to stay on said machine. Like, he literally does like a death drop. Nobody falls off. Everybody stays on, and you're like, can anybody explain that, please? As the Star Trek universe has taught us, seatbelts will be obsolete in the future. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. So what is it, magnetized pants or something? Maybe everyone has them. Okay. Everyone's underwear is magnetic. I should start making those now. If we start questioning space Vespas, this whole movie falls apart. I mean, we just... <laughs> 100% facts. Agreed. <laughs> uh, it's so fun to do, but... Time to move into the movie superlatives segment. Excellent. And we start off with the MVP. Chris, who is your MVP for this movie? Against my better judgment, I'm going to say the MVP is Fergie Rob Schneider. Saved the movie 100%. Definitely comedy. The, the logic that he gives on multiple occasions is kind of like just startling. So I'm definitely going to call, I'm going to call Schneider out for MVP. He definitely keeps the movie from being that totally serious camp and uh, keeps you knowing not to take it seriously. How about you, Chad? I don't know what it is about you, Nathan, but whenever you're on, I'm going with a wardrobe department. I did it for Amadeus. I'm doing it now. I like bright superhero and comic movies. I like what they did in this movie. It makes me happy to see all this brightness juxtaposed with all the violence that's going on. So, the wardrobe department. Gotta keep those cauldrons sparkly clean. Yes. Or those pauldrons, sorry. Yes. Yeah, for me, it was Max von Sydow as Judge Fargo. I thought that his performance was just awesome. There's a moment of just ridiculously great face acting as he's starting to prepare to take the long walk out into the desert. And it's probably in front of a green screen, but you believe that he's about to walk out onto the sands of I, I, the I wasteland. Do. I really do, yeah. Uh, great, great, great assessment. Great assessment of both parts. Can't go wrong. Well, how about the best supporting actor? Chris. I'm going to go for the robot with Armand DeSante, the non-speak. Well, I think actually, didn't he speak very briefly? Uh, yeah. Or. Yeah, I'm going to go for the robot. Only because I already gave Snyder the the, the award there. I, I, I really want to give it to Diane Lane, but I feel like that role could have been filled by anybody. And that says a lot, you know. She did not make it to where it was a role that could have only said that only this or this person could have did that. So I'm going to go with the robot. That robot was pretty unique. You know, last episode that I was on for Blank Man, I had given the MVP, actually, to J5. the robot there. The J5 robot. That was, <laughs> that was my MVP for that Fantastic. movie. So I am, I am all in on the robots being <laughs> some of the best characters. Chad, what about you? Best supporting actor. I wrote Diane Lane, but Chris has convinced me. I'm changing my vote. I've never done this, but yes, Hammerstein the robot. He was awesome. Absolutely. Nice. nice. I'll take it. I'll take it. Great choices. Great choices. But you know what? I Don't worry. 
I'm making that choice for you guys. I am taking that second choice. Diane Lane as Hershey, I thought, was a great factor in making this, in sort of humanizing everyone that she runs into in this movie and making sure that we understand that there is a heart in this movie and it's her. Very nice. Hey, way to stay, stand to your, to your uh, ground foundation. I'll take it. I'm going to move on here to the hidden gem, Chris. Actually, I'm going to take yours. I'm going to go with um, Max von Sydow. I think he was the hidden gem because there was this relationship between Judge Dredd and him that I think actually calls for more humanity. That it was this this fatherly, you know, hey, I'm here for you. And I thought that was great. And then, like I said, when they were in the dunes, when they were, look, you got me saying dune now. Um, when they were in the <laughs> desert. When they were in the desert and, and he showed up and and saved the day, basically, and acknowledged, you know, hey, you know, there's actually more going on. And he took his death like a champ. I know that's a very uh, uh, questionable statement, but I really do think that I would say that was definitely the hidden gem. Awesome. He truly went out taking the law to the lawless. Chad, how about you? I went with Joan Chen as Ilsa Hayden. Uh, you always get points for doing your own stunts and the fact her and Hershey's scene where they went back and forth not just the the fight itself which I actually thought was the best fight of the movie but the quips too and when she's cursing at Diane Lane Diane Lane gives it back to her I love that scene and I thought she did a good job I agree with the earlier assessment of what is her character supposed to be <laughs> what's her motivation why has she suddenly yeah. switched teams but yeah I still like the fight scene so that is always something that I support in my movies. For me, it is the lawgivers. Those guns are hilarious, and whoever in the props department and the scripting, and also Sylvester Stallone for the acting that he does around these things, they have all kinds of character, and it's great. Anytime you can have a movie that starts pretty early off with someone saying, double whammy. And it turns out to be something pretty badass and epic. I'll go for it. So that's my hidden gem for this movie. Completely accepted. Nice. Well, a very strong cast. I think we've we've talked about some criticisms that we've had and some really interesting ideas and already some considerations of recasting. But if you had to replace one member of this cast, who would you replace and who would you replace them with? Chris? I am trying to think about somebody who could have played Diane Lane better i am gonna go completely left with this i'm gonna replace joanne chen with michelle rodriguez okay i think she's like the she's an underrated but acknowledged actress but she does a really good job of kind of playing this bad girl vibe where like you come into it like okay i i see i see where she's going with this where like i agree with chad that you know joanne chen doing her own stunts was fantastic and whatnot but I would probably go with uh, Michelle Rodriguez. I think there would have been a really good chemistry there. And uh, I think I think the fight scenes would have been pretty, pretty, pretty decent also. Very nice. I like when she shows up. Great choice. Great choice. How about you, Chad? I feel like I'm going to have to duck from Chris here because he's been praising him the entire movie, but I am not a Rob Schneider fan. So. Oh, no! <laughs> <laughs> I, I am so glad he holds the movie together for you. I had actually written, do I even need a reason for this recast? But I think I do now. I'm going with someone with like, like Seth Green. 
I like Seth Green a lot. I feel like he can do this. I can see that. The smart aleck hacker. I don't buy Rob Schneider as a hacker. I think that's the reason. I keep hearing him say, you can do it. And I kind of wanted him to do that behind Dread as he's running down the pipe. Just, you can do it, as fires behind him. Oh, my God. Well, you know what? I, I agree with that perspective. Uh, because as you say that, you have a very valid point. Honestly, to tell you the truth, I really do not see Snyder as a, as a hacker at all. <laughs> you know, the funny thing is that I had really recon- I, I had really considered doing my recast of Rob Schneider too, because uh, I mean, I, I, I'm with I'm with Chad on this one. I I felt like he was out of place in a lot of in a lot of these scenes. The, the uh, but I mean, as 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 you say, Chris, it does save the movie from becoming too self serious. Oh, no, that's fantastic. That's what I love, the idea of being individuals. You get so many different points of views. I love it. Yeah. You well, guys for, give me something to consider. Well, for mine, I'm going to go with recasting Jürgen Prochnow's Judge Griffin, because I, watching this movie, felt that we had an overage of silly villains, and Judge Griffin is too much of a overly simplified Nazi stereotype for my taste for this movie. I I thought it didn't really need it, and him working through the politicking of things was then so, so overshadowed by what Armand Asante was doing for Rico that I just felt like we needed someone bigger, someone more, someone someone with a little bit more effectiveness to uh to, to really bring that character to life and so i was thinking man what if you had like a, a really serious like a like an ian mckellen level person in there oh, wow. who, who could make that transition believable for two reasons here first of all to make that more serious and also because i would love there to be an age similarity between fargo and the judge griffin character because I would love the idea that there's always this dualism in the story where one person, where, where, where there are two people who are part of this project and one of them kind of fails and one of them goes on to take the lead. And I would love the idea that as part of this Janus project, both Judge Fargo and Judge Griffin worked on it together. And when it failed and things went wrong, Fargo took the lead and Griffin was jealous the whole time, but they were almost a similar level of brotherly relationship as that um, Dredd and Rico have. And it would be really neat if that was gone into a little bit where it, where they were actually much more rivals uh, than is presented. I think that would just make it a much more interesting game of Thronesy story. No, no, great, great, great perspective. And I want to say I apologize completely for acknowledging his genesis. And for whatever reason, I don't know why that was coming out. Thank you for the correction on that Janus project. Yeah, I I, uh, I agree with you on the Ian McKellen. But do you, let me rephrase this question. Do you believe it's possible that the air of quality in acting could have overshadowed? My choice has a certain part of me that I personally do wish that this movie had been more serious and and i've mentioned it earlier with that that i was considering with rob schneider as fergie i do think that there are some of these scenes that 
you're watching a couple of B-movie level politicking happen in the room, and I was just really wishing wishing that there was something a little bit more serious going on. If you're going to have a villain like that, I wanted someone with a little bit more presence in the space. It it uh that that was just my just my thought there. No, I want this movie to be more serious than it is. Okay, I'll, I'll take that. Um, I would have liked to see a movie like that. I'll tell you what. This is one of, I think, a lot of movies from this era that have a little bit of an, an identity crisis going on where there are very silly parts of the movie and very serious parts of the movie, and they coexist, and they manage to coexist fairly well, but I spend a fair amount of time in the movie wishing that they could just be a little bit more carefully put together. So that is that is my take on that on that replacement. But it's time to move on to the best shot or cinematic moment of the movie. Chris. I'm going to go with the death of uh, George Fargo. Great moment, great scripting, great acting. It leaves Stallone's kind of one-way acting to, you know, very direct, like, hey, this is the emotion we want you to feel. Let him run with it. And I think I think that's how it works. So oh, yeah. Say that was a great scene. Nice. Yeah, really great stream. How about you, Ted? Best shot for me is the introduction to the city. Bright lights, neon everywhere, but then we go down to the street level and we see the graffiti. So it sets the tone nicely of this. There's optimism for the city, but really it's not a great place to be. Heavenly havens. I think that's me. I think that's me. Yes. <laughs> no, that's not you. <laughs> that's not you. That's Sorry, not. you're not being delivered from prison to the penthouse apartment where people are swimming in a pool. That's just not happening, you crazy person. <laughs> uh, love the optimism. You know, for me, uh, it's also a Judge Fargo moment, but uh, it's it's uh, the shot a little bit earlier than that, where Judge Fargo steps out onto... Arrakis. I mean, the wasteland of the movie. I mean, the desert outside. Uh, the long like, walk. But yes, steps out for his long walk, passes the guns, and you just get this amazing wide shot of the lone figure stepping out from the wall. Yep, very good. I love the respect for him in that movie. I really do. Yeah. You know, I love it. I, there's, a, there's an air of like, okay, this is this is somebody we should respect regardless of what decision he made. Yeah. And I think I, I think that for me is maybe part of what makes the second half of this movie kind of hard because we lose that. We don't have a character anymore who's that serious. Hmm. That's good. a great point. Moving on to the best scene category. Chris. The court scene. Dreads. I can't. What do you say? I, I can't destroy. The, I am the law. Him, yes. him standing yes. for himself at those last couple <laughs> seconds. It's fantastic. It's like, OK. You did this part. You did it well. <laughs> I don't know how, unfortunately, the rest of the movie is going to work, but he's like, you, you can't, you can't say I, I, I did the law wrong. I, I am the law. You <laughs> know, as as you're saying this, I'm I'm feeling like we need a moment from the Princess Bride here for someone to say, I, I do not think you know what that means. <laughs> on the side, you keep saying it's, that word. Yeah, yes, I do not yeah, think yeah, it means yeah, what yeah. you think it means. <laughs> When he was like trying to say, what does that word means to uh, uh, Julia Stiles? I think. Yeah. yeah. Uh, inconceivable. Yeah. Exactly. Inconceivable. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and, and that really is like I was waiting for the moment where, for someone to say, like, by the way, this is what the law really means, and Judge Dredd learns from 
his mistake. Oh no, he would have been crushed. It would have lost the whole moment. Yeah, but he was being crushed through the mid part of the movie, and anyway, Max von Sydow is lying on his death. He turns over and he sees the random Lady Justice statue on the side. Dread asks, "Who's the blind woman?" <laughs> Despite it not being an obviously blind statue, Sydow <laughs> explains. Well prop, well prop. That's all I can say. Well prop. <laughs> deeply meaningful, deeply meaningful. I hope that he takes that knowledge out to the streets anyway. But anyway, Chad, how about you? What was your favorite scene from the movie? I'm a sucker for a good fight scene and in a good setting. So the fight in the Statue of Liberty with Rico, that was really cool. I appreciate the quipping going back and forth. The end death of Rico, where he's just like, courts adjourned. That's awesome. <laughs> it was, yes. That's just what I want. I mean, that's it was everything I wanted in a fight scene, and I got it. So I appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely wonderful moment. For mine, I'm going to have to somewhat flip with Chris here, where uh, I'm going to use his best shot, the, the moment that Fargo is explaining to Dredd all the sins of the past and what he needs to do in the future. I thought that was just a, a really, really great scene. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Well, we've discussed the absolutely amazing wardrobe of this movie, of this movie, but if you had to come up with a particular moment for what the best wardrobe or makeup was, what would you pick, Chris? Uh, what was the sun? Uh, when they were in the middle of the, the desert and he's like, <laughs> whoever did that guy's makeup was fantastic i don't know what the son was i don't even know what the gentleman's character name was that played it but he's he was like paul can i eat him you know it's just like you're like okay this is this is a great job and i'm I'm assuming that they were affected by some nuclear spread yeah, i actually don't even know there was no explanation in how that happened also, why is why is he so messed up and had to have the robotics installed when all of his yeah. brothers and his dad didn't? Yeah, I that was uh, with that. looking at the cast list. That's Christopher Adamson. Okay, who okay, must have suffered through many hours in the makeup couch. Yeah, I'm I'm in that same boat. I'm going with the space rednecks, Mean Machine Angels. I love that. That's oh, awesome. I wish I would have thought of that. I wish I would have thought of that. That's great. All the cast out in the desert. Yes. Yeah, I'm from West Virginia, so, you know, I recognize my <laughs> my own. <laughs> great. I love it. I love it. Oh, oh man. I mean, I'm I, I'm coming to a similar similar thing here with, uh, again, uh, the uh, Max von Sydow and the amazing desert garb, the trench coat and the, and the huge gun and taking on the desert. One man all himself. Just great, great moments. Everything about that. Yeah, the duster and everything. Yeah, that was great. Well, if you had to change one thing about this movie, what would you change? Please go ahead. So, Nathan, the thing I'm changing is going to be pretty succinct here. The cod piece. We, <laughs> we, can, we got rid of it in 2012. I want to keep the rest of the uniform. It was very comic accurate, but the cod piece has got to go. Well, you know, here's a question. In 2012, they definitely had some armor down there. I think it was more that they brought the rest of the armor up to match. Is it that the codpiece is sticking out because the rest of the suit is literally just a bunch of spandex? Or is it 
because it's a gold cod piece and there's nothing else you can do about it. Yeah, I think it's the latter part. It's the gold cod piece. Like, come on. Well, that can go in the bin with the bat nipples. Yes. <laughs> and I think I think this might I think this might excite you just a little bit, Nathan. Now that I thought about it, and from what you've given your opinion on it, I would I would keep Judge Fargo alive. Mm. Ooh. What a plot twist that would make, you know, because then a lot of the movie of the end of that movie would make more sense. Okay. It would. It, it, a lot of it would tie in. It would make more sense. He would be able to give him the direction that he's never he has, but never had from an honest place. Nice. So yeah, I, I would keep I would keep Fargo alive. Yeah, that that would be a big bold choice and really transform how we uh, get back into the city, what we're experiencing on the way back. That's a really interesting choice. I think for me, I would love this movie to have a little bit of what I was describing earlier with the Ian McKellen replacement for Judge Griffin, where the idea is that maybe Judge Fargo dies, but you get the other half of the story from maybe a dying Judge Griffin at the at close to the end, where maybe Rico kills Judge Griffin very slowly, and with his dying words, he maybe, ex- he maybe explains some of the rest of what's gone wrong as he's had this plan, he's had grand ideals, he, he really wanted this Janus plan to, to, to work out, and he thought, that it, he, he thought that he could make a difference, but he's realized, you can make the difference yourself, Judge Dredd, just be more human with the law or something, and he, and he imparts some, some wisdom that, that Dredd is able to then take to change the world at the end, because the big change for me is that I I want I want Judge Dredd to either accept the position at the head of the council or say, actually, I'm totally wrong for this. But Hershey over here, she should be at the head of the council because she's the one who's been pushing for the right things all along. Sensible one. The sensible one. Exactly. That's that's what I thought. But hey, I think uh, we've talked about some of these absolutely hilarious lines. There are so many in this movie that are that vary from hilarious to pretty great lines. So Chris, if you had to pick up a, a best line from this whole movie, what is the, what is the best quote? And I know this is going to sound like on the down, but when Rob Snyder finally calls him out on the plane and he's like, you know, you were judged correctly. <laughs> if I was judged correctly, you know, whatever happened to you? And he was like, he's like before that, he's like, the law's never wrong, and you're like, well, what happened to you? And he's like, oh. Great. <laughs> great exchange. Sting, sting, you know, moment. I don't know. Maybe maybe that might be a little bit of a personal one, but it's just the calling out of it, you know? It's like, yeah. yeah I, I think that's what I really do like about it. I mean, because there are definitely other moments, you know, but I, I like that, you know, when he finally sees, like, oh, maybe I might be wrong. Yeah. That, was a, that was a great moment, and I wish that what it had set up had had more impact later, but it, it it was a great moment in the film. Chad, how about you? Emotions. There ought to be a law against them. <laughs> I um, knew you were going to say that. <laughs> <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. Yep. Nice. They're all over the place. That was such that was such a great exchange. And he never and he never grows out of it. You know, for me it was at the complete other end of the film, when Rigo's hanging dread over the side of the Statue of Liberty, and he says, I find you guilty of being a human when we could have been gods. Yes, 
That was a great villain line. Great line. Yeah. It was such it, it was like, oh man, I'm so happy that your character had the chance to say something profound that way. Yeah. Well done. Well done. Been a great time, but I think before we move on to our ratings and recommendations, it, I should give just one more moment for Chris to plug some of his work. First of all, thank you guys, and I know I'll probably have another opportunity to do this. I just want to say thank you. Um, it's it's been a pleasure of a time during this uh uh experience. Let's just say it like that. You know, I don't want to touch on it too much but uh i've had an opportunity to write multiple books like i said uh i am currently i have out darla's scarf um which you can find on amazon and the adventures of william and christopher which also you can find on amazon i'm currently working on several other books and i stay on a podcast here and there uh, i would love to revisit you guys because it's been a pleasure and you know just honestly uh to stay on an up tip you know, if you're watching this, I hope you've had an opportunity to really sit down with your family and watch a couple of movies. Because if you detract from what's going on in the world, you know, movie time is fantastic. Make 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 the most of it. You know, hang up a poster, put popcorn on, uh, take the bed off of your uh, off of your box springs and, and lay it on the floor. <laughs> you know, make make a moment of it. Movie time is such a great pastime and and. For the longest, it was like literally the time for people to come together and communicate in the towns, you know. Um, so enjoy life. Make the most of it. Uh, it goes by so fast. Enjoy art because that's what this is. You know, movies in a sense, it's, it's art. Enjoy art. I love it. Thank you, guys. Well said. Well said, indeed. Well, it's time to rate this movie. This is, as has been alluded to earlier, a movie that the critics of the day and the audiences of the day and of the Internet age have not been kind to. So I'm very curious to know, Chris and Chad, what are your ratings for this movie? We rate in a scale of zero to five stars in half star increments. Chris, how would you rate this movie? Beyond the fact that I, I generally like this movie because I'm an action junkie, I'm going to go three out of five. I think that that's a fair assessment of, as a whole, the movie did well. I mean, obviously, we've broken down a movie and we found some kinks and cracks in the middle of it. But I think I think as a whole, when we really take it, you know, from action, weapons, props, costumes, acting, you know, sometimes those actors who's not intent to be in the spotlight can 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 shine out and make a movie still work out. And I think. This cast was capable of not only making Stallone look good, but making the movie as a whole still work out. So I give it a three out of five. Nice. I'm going four stars. Is it a good movie? No. But it makes me really happy. I love the simplicity of that. I really do. I love it. Gets it across. And taking this movie at exactly what it wants it wants you to think, and not, not judging it harshly, as I'm about to judge it harshly, because I look at this and uh, I... I want more. I, I I want more seriousness of it, and I I know it's it's a product of its time. It's not. It, it really is not trying to be a great movie or or anything any, anything of that sort. But I I don't know. I'm I'm seeing the special effects work, the budget that's going into this, and I I don't know. I I want more. I I, I want a little bit more introspection out of it. I want more character arc to it. And, and more questioning of, you know, what this society is going through in order to create a situation like this. So I'm going to give it a two out of five. Definitely a fun movie. Has, has, has a lot to love. Fair enough. 
So let's move into the movie selection for next time. Option number one, Our Man Flint, 1966. When scientists use eco-terrorism to impose their will on the world by affecting extremes in the weather, intelligence chief Cramden calls in top agent Derek Flint. Option number two, Casino Royale of 1967. In an early spy spoof, aging Sir James Bond comes out of retirement to take on Smirsh. Option number three, The Pink Panther from 1963. The bumbling Inspector Clouseau travels to Rome to catch a notorious jewel thief known as the Phantom before he conducts his most daring heist yet, a princess priceless diamond with one slight imperfection known as the Pink Panther. Chad, will you help me pick for next time? Pink Panther! Pink Panther! I already knew where that was going. I am a, 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 a James Bond fanatic, so I would probably definitely say James Bond. But hey, Pink Panther's definitely a good movie, also. Casino Royale, both the old and new. I think both of them was superb. I'm excited for that movie. It's a very, it's a very fun, fun genre. So I want to, before we close out here, thank you so much, Chris, for coming on. Yes, thank you so much. Please, please, I would, I love it, man. Uh, it's been a pleasure. Um, it's allowed me an opportunity to question some of my views on movies. So you guys definitely have made me challenge myself. I'll watch movies a little bit differently because of today. Thank you. That is what we. That is all we can hope to achieve here. So remember, all the lords, ladies, and knights of the retro movie roundtable, we invite you to reach out to us. We want to hear from you. Subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. Those reviews and subscription will help others find the show. Give us a like on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at movie underscore retro. Email us at retromovieroundtable at yahoo.com. Producing and providing this podcast is fun, but not free. We invite you to support the show at our Patreon page at www.patreon.com slash retromovieroundtable. Any contribution is much appreciated and will go towards making the show better for you and the listeners. As always, thank you for listening. Be good to each other and watch more movies. Chad? It's that every now and again, not often, but occasionally, you get to be a part of justice being done. That really is quite a thrill when that happens.